Well, if you will allow me, I would like to, I'm going to give you some points of my story. And I want you to pick up what you want to. Okay? Is that all right? Yeah. So my heart is to see people come to know God. Bottom line. Bottom line. There's nothing else for me. I feel I've got this plug. And God's got the other side of the plug. And I take people and I take their plugs and I plug them in. And do you see my job? That's it. That's, our, that's all our job, by the way. And I was stupid enough to believe the Bible. I say that because as a brand new Christian, I read it and I thought, oh, so this is what we do. And so my history comes out of, the Bible says it, so this is what we do. And I know no other way. Yeah? So I grew up in apartheid South Africa, which was awful, where black and white couldn't come together. And um, I grew up in quite a racist home where we weren't allowed to have any friends of other colors. And our law was do not have friends of other colors. And for me, I was always interested in people of other colors But I didn't want to get involved because of fear, because of the law. And we were a church family, but not a Christian family. So we did all the church things on a Sunday. But on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, my family were not very nice to people of color. And you get brainwashed. So white South Africans were brainwashed and black South Africans were brainwashed. And it's the most terrible, terrible thing. But then when I was born again, something started to turn and my eyes started looking at people of color. But the fear was so big, just so big. I can't explain when you come, the the brainwashing, and the Bible says, obey your government. And it's like, what do you do? But the government says, you may not mix with people of other colors. But the Bible says Jesus has broken down the dividing wall. Do you see? And it's this, oh. And, and I felt the push of God to go and get involved. And it cost a lot because of the fear. I can't explain the fear. I said to God, I'll do anything else. I'll do anything else, but not that. Not that. And the heavens went closed because he'd already spoken. And so I was trying to bargain with him. But he'd spoken. And so I went into the townships. And what I wanted to do is just make a few relationships. I like people. Um, And I like people. I want to link them to God. You know? Chit-chat and all that is not the, the, <laughs> the biggest. So I thought that I can go in with people, make some relationships, tell them about Jesus, and get out. I just wanted to link people who were suffering in the townships, in 
corrugated iron, how, you know, shacks and so on. I wanted to link them to God so that they would receive from the Father what I got. And that's still my desire. Whoever I meet, I want to link them. Come on, I know this fantastic God. Life isn't easy as a Christian, but oh, I don't know how you cope without him. Now I wanted to introduce you to him because you know what? There's nothing like that. And that's still my passion. So I thought if I link people to God, I can get out. But then I realized I'm not a hit and run person. I can't go in somewhere and get people saved and then dump them. I just don't know. I wish I knew how to do it. But I just don't know. Once they get saved, it's like they belong to me and I've got to make sure that they actually are discipled and they are well looked after. Otherwise, I feel my job hasn't been done well. Yeah? I think the biggest shock I got in going into the townships, all South Africans, we might be different colors, but we're South Africans. Nobody thought like me. Now, I'm talking in a church plant. I wasn't there to plant a church, but I'm talking, you as church planters, just hear me, and you might recognize this. Nobody thought like me. I thought, you know, I don't know about you, but do you? I thought that everybody, we all think the same. No matter which culture we come from, no matter, we all think the same. We don't. And I was so shocked because nobody thought like me. And there was nothing I could get hold of to identify with. Eventually, when I led people to the Lord, it was Jesus. But other than that, the food was different, the vision was different, the mannerisms were different, the history was different. The and it makes one want to run because one gets so tired. You get worn out. Can people identify with this? You get worn out of other cultures. It's just such hard work. And I found that I couldn't assume a thing. You know, when you're with your own culture, you, you know, we have our little arguments and we... But in general, if I do a joke in my culture, everybody roars with laughter. You go into another culture and tell the joke. So you can't assume a thing. I couldn't assume that because I was explaining something, and I thought, they must get it. And then I found out two days later, they didn't get it. And I had to go over and over the same thing, this way and that way and this way. And what would take two days to do to a person of my culture <clears throat> took a week and two weeks and three weeks and four weeks and five weeks for people to get. And so when you are planting cross-country, don't assume that because you've said it, it's been understood. It would just shock me. But I said it a hundred times. Something happened between my lips and the ears. It was the cultural kind of lenses that were different. I also panicked because with our history, you know, white people, we are the superior race. Black people, down. You know, you know, you, you know all the derogatory things that were said. And um, I had to make sure that every word I said didn't have a derogatory meaning, didn't come across patronizing. A lot of it did. May I tell you, I patronized so much 
because I didn't know what I was doing. But I had to be careful that the things I said weren't taken the wrong way. Oh, that is so tiring. You know, we, we just talk. We don't even let the words form in our heads. You know what I'm talking about. It just rolls out of our mouths because we're used to each other. Go into an oppressed nation. You find you've got to weigh every word because of the cost to that person. It's a different life. In this process, every day I said to the Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. It wasn't, here I come. I'm anointed. I didn't feel anointed. I didn't feel called. I'm still waiting for the call, by the way. But do you see? It wasn't, I'm raving to go and here I... It was like God pushed me into it and stuck me there. It is. Stuck me there and I had no option I never had church planting in my mind at all. It was the furthest thing from my mind. We were in a, like Terry Virgo was visiting us in Cape Town, but it was still coastlands, and we were, we had a relationship, but we certainly weren't joined to him. And so church planting wasn't high on the agenda. So that wasn't in my mind at all. But you see, once I'd led people to the Lord, I looked around and I couldn't see which churches to actually put people in because I didn't know where the gospel was being preached or if it was Jesus plus something else and so on. And so I had to start meeting with people. And before I knew it, the circle got bigger and bigger. So Sunday mornings I would have to go and do church and learn how to do it and not know what I was doing, by the way. But the bit I knew, I would pass on all the time. And so I had to go and dig deeper at home to be able to give more to people. I said to God, please give me a book that I can read on how to do this. Or somebody, it was the loneliest place of my life because, again, it was apartheid South Africa, so there was, you know... I. White people didn't want to talk to me about it, even in the church, because it was all too scary. What is she up to? They're very real. And I longed for somebody to talk to me, to come tell me what to do. And there was no one. And I said, Lord, give me a book. And he said, you're writing the book. Like Tim Heath, he's writing the book. You're writing the book. Well, thank you. Thank you. But you know, having to write a book from nothing creates such a dependence on God. This whole thing was dependent on God. When you've got no one to turn to, nobody else, no books to read. We're so quick to read. And I love books. I love books. And I'm hungry and I read books and blogs and all that. But when there isn't a book on your subject, all you've got is God. And he's enough. You know, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that has been my undergirding verse, because in my lane, in what God prepared for me, was these townships. It wasn't suddenly God put me there. Before time, 
he randomly said, I like this one. And there I grew up thinking of other things. I wanted to be a vet. You know, when I was big. When I'm big, I want to be a vet. I love animals. And God said, hmm, it's going to be, actually, you're going to be doing this. And because God had prepared it in advance, he knew what he was doing. Do you see? It's all about him. It's just not about me or about us. It's all about him. And the churches that you were leading or planting, you know, before time, guess what? God prepared it. So he knows what he's doing. You're just following in the kind of smoke of what God had prepared before. So it's, it's a pioneer thing, but it's like not pioneering for God. He's been there before. He's prepared, did you see, he's prepared the way, and we are following in the way of it. And so we think we are, yeah, yeah, we go in this new thing. But there's footsteps before, and we walk in it. See, my whole way of thinking is that I belong to God. He bought me. Jesus bought me. When he died on the cross for me, he bought me. I don't belong to myself. And that's another bottom line. I don't belong to myself. I don't have rights. I wish I had rights. I want to throw my toys out of the cot. I want rights. I don't have rights. You know what? As a born-again Christian, you don't have rights. And sometimes we forget that. And we think, here we go. We can do this and that and that. And we can do it, have a few meetings and talk about it and do it in our own strength. But Jesus has made a way. And when, when he died, rose again, he bought us. And we humbly come and say, I belong to you. And we can, at the end of this, we're going to have a little time of, Lord, I belong to you. It's like we die every day. Funnily enough, I rise again very quickly. And then I've got to die again and again and again because I don't own myself. I don't have these, I, I don't have the privilege of all these choices. I suppose they're there, but I don't know how to make them. Because I just know God's hand is on me and he's on you. And he says, this is the way, walk in it. And you know what is the best place to be? John 17 verse 6 said, Jesus said, I have revealed you to those, he was speaking to the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. And they obeyed your word. And, you know, there's not even arguments. There's no, we just belong to God. We are his workmanship. He bought us. There's no choices. We, you know, there's often big talk about all these choices we have. I think, why doesn't someone tell me what they are so I can... You get it. I just don't know how else to think. It's all about him and dying all the time. What do you want, Lord? I would like that. What do you want, Lord? Oh, but I want that. But and it's it's quite a it's quite a thing. Am I speaking to the right people here? Yeah. yeah? It, 
Jesus bought us at a price. And if we are still living as though we have the right to ourselves and make our own decisions, then we cannot be his disciples, even though we are saved. That's a strong statement, eh? But you must hear this. Jesus said, if you obey me, you are my disciples. We've actually got to teach people, and as you're planting churches and new Christians, from day one, it's a matter of, you know what? You've got to be a disciple, and a disciple obeys Jesus. It's not this wishy-washy. You know, we, so, we get people all wishy-washy at times, and we think, why is the church so weak? Because it's like they've got all these choices. No. If you want to be my disciple... You've got to obey. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. He came, he he wrote lessons for these university students who were going to be pastors. They were going to be pastors. They were all born again, going on a mission. And he walked in one day and he said to his students, over who can Jesus write mine? This wasn't just the, the congregation. This was a bunch of pastors. Over who can Jesus write mine? Because of having died and offered oneself as a disciple to do whatever he asks. Everybody is very quiet. (laughs) This is heavy stuff. But I'm just telling you, yeah, I know I'm okay. This is is who I am. and, And I just want to give it to you. The missionary secret is truly being able to say, I am his, and he is accomplishing his his work and his purposes through me. That's what a missionary is. I am his. A missionary isn't a church planter and a this and a that and a that. I am his. Then he can do whatever he likes. The good thing about this is that The Lord makes his disciples his very own possession, becoming responsible responsible for them. And he says in Acts 1 verse 8, you shall be my witnesses. And that's not always you're going to go out and talk about me. But it's your life, your whole life is going to be my witness. I read somewhere that we don't have um, things to say. We don't have a, a word. We are. We'd, we have it, but it's we are. Where God puts us, we are the example of Jesus. And then we say it. So it's not only about the words. It's the whole being. It's how we live and the words. That makes sense. Yeah? So as we obey, it's God's responsibility to take care of us and accomplish the work that only he can do. The goal of the missionary, this is a bit controversial. I do enjoy that. <laughs> the goal of the missionary or the church planter is to do God's will, not to be useful or to win the lost. I'm going to read it again. The goal of the missionary or church planter is to do God's will. Not to be useful or to win the lost. As you do God's will, the lost will be saved. See, it's him. It's about him. 
And as it's about him, we get full of the aroma of Christ. Then where we walk, we become a magnet, we become attractive to those who are being saved. Do you see? It's him. Go and get the lost. Come to him. And then go out. And the lost will come. Yeah? While working in the townships, I was challenged by a community who lived in shacks. And they were a very politicized community. And they said to me, they'd listen to the gospel, they'd come to the Lord and so on. But there was a, a bunch of them that weren't saved and they came to me and they gave me a challenge and said, if your God is so big as what you always say is, you ask him to give us each a house. We want to live in a brick house. We don't want to live in a shack anymore. You live in a house. Why can't we? They were right. And it was a whole community. So 650 families. And as, yeah. And there's no funds, no finance, no anything. And I said, okay. God can give you houses. Salimi, God can give you You see, I'd seen him do so much already. He'd proved himself so much. I'd seen the sick healed. I'd seen the most amazing things. I didn't look for it. It looked for me. Because I said Jesus heals. And people believed what I said. They didn't think, which book did I read? Did Piper say this or did Grudem? Or is it this or... You know, am I Calvinist or Arminian? Or they just believed what I said and they stood in queues for me to pray. And I just said, Lord, you better come. I don't know how to do this. And I still don't know how to do it because it's him. And he did it. So I saw him do stuff. And so these people challenged me with the housing. And I was frightening, frighteningly excited. Because, you see, I'd got quite used to being in the townships. I was used to danger. I was used to all these things. And my personality, gifting, whatever, likes the edge. And so when I get used to, as soon as I think I can do something and I don't have to hang on to God, I'm in danger. And so I say, Lord, give me the edge. And then he gives it and I say, oh, why did I, why did I ask? And so for me, this was the most massive challenge to get a whole community of housing for people. If God didn't do it, totally unstuck. He did it. And I watched him. And we, do you know, we were the first community, the church in Cape Town, moved a whole area of people who'd lived in shacks forever. One man was 92, never lived in a brick house. And we actually led him to the Lord. And he said, I said, what, what, what do you want us to pray for? He said, I want to walk in my own garden before I die. He walked in his own garden for about three years in front of his own house before dying. God did it. So they'd lived forever in shacks. And the system said, you black, you poor, you live in a shack. Jesus said, no way. 
No way. You, my children. And you see, it was, we didn't only do it for the church. It was for everyone, the community. And he did it. And he can do the most amazing things. But hanging on to him. Oh, Lord Jesus. You've got to give those houses, Lord. You've got to give those houses. Egg on my face. Egg on your face. Because it's your name. Not that he cares, because he's, he can look after his name. But it's like, what about me? But you know what I did? Every time I heard God speak to me, I would go to the Bible and and say, okay, Lord, confirm it with a verse. And that's very important. Confirm it. Because the honeymoon period's there and you walk on air. And then you wake up one morning and God is gone. And all you've got is the enemy saying, huh, who do you think you are? Did God really say that he will give houses? And um, I found in Isaiah 58, it says, you will be called streets with dwellings. And I thought, yes. And I put a date there. And when I felt discouraged, it, it, was a, it, it took ages. It cost me, I cannot tell you, to do this. The enemy was big. And no money. And we, we didn't fundraise. And it was a whole big thing. And God came. And he moved every single person into, the, into a house. And the government said, if you get this right, we will follow your plan. When we go back to Cape Town now, houses are just everywhere. Because what, what the church started has been taken over in the land. The church, the church, we can do all these things. You know, I learned about submitting to the people where I went to minister. I learned about giving in to the community and asking them to teach me. Because you see, we go, God has called us, we must go and do something, go and plant here or plant there, whatever. But actually, we are guests in that new community. If you move house into, whether it's another nation or even in your own nation, you're a guest there. And so you get to know the people and, and you ask questions. How do I do this? What do I do now? What suits you? How can I serve you? Not I've come to tell you. And the old South African way was I've come to tell you. And I had to learn how to say, please teach me. So I've been taught as I stand here, honor black people of South Africa. They taught me. They taught me how to be human. They taught me love. They taught me acceptance. They taught me something that I just can't explain and I honor them. And then the time came when I had friendships, when I had to say to people, now tell me how I come across to you. I dare you, if you're going to plant in another nation, (laughs) go to people and ask them, how do I come across to you? But you need friendships because otherwise they'll skirt the issue. And so people told me how I came across. You know? Mama Angela, when you come into a house, you knock like a policeman. Up here. Watch us. We knock down here. So I had to learn to knock down here, not the policeman's knock. And you come in and you just sit down. 
You've got to oh, wait for us to invite you to sit down. Okay. And you see how arrogant. I came across so arrogant I didn't know the rules because I hadn't asked at first. And in the end I had to humble myself and say, just teach me. I don't know how to do this. It was a huge learning curve for me. And I didn't enjoy it. And I wanted to give up many times. Anybody here want to give up at times? Everybody's too scared to put their hands up. I know. But it is. Every day I'm going to pack my bag and I'm just going to go. I'm never going back to the church office and I'm never going to. And the, and the next morning I'm back. I think you silly person. Why don't, why do you do this? And the church plant grew around me. The first church plant. It just grew around me. I didn't look for it, it looked for me because it was in my works before time. Isn't that amazing? So I didn't have to work hard to do it because God had already planned it. That makes sense. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you don't have to work hard because I worked very hard. But it grew around me. People just came because God sent them to me. And Father, I want to ask for people here who want people to be saved. Lord, just send the people. Father, this is a bunch of people who are so willing. Will you just send them? Will you send them people who they can lead to you? Those who you've handpicked before time, will you send them? Please, Lord Jesus. Will you break whatever's over us? The lethargy, the fear, the whatever, and send people? Thank you, Lord. I learned about submitting to people. To the very culture that I was going to serve, I learned about submitting to them. I learned that I wasn't going to another community to show them how to do things. And we are third world people. Even the white South Africans are third world. But we're still very Western, if you understand. We've come to show you how to do things. And so that was, we just grew up like that. It just, I didn't even know I was doing it. And I had to learn. I can't show anybody how to do anything because I don't know how to do it myself. This is all very serious. <laughs> but you see, this, is, this session is called Pioneering Faith. It costs. So much. And it's, it's nice to tell good stories of, and you read church plant books and this and that. It's all nice. It is so tricky. It costs, but oh, the fruit, the joy, the, the bonuses, the jewels for Jesus' feet is massive. It's massive. And God prepared it before the time, so we walk in it. Just walk in it. See, I knew I carried the Holy Spirit in me. And my dependence on him is vital. So I would go up the side of Table Mountain and say, Okay, Lord, it's you who put me in that place. I don't know what I'm doing. You're living in me. I'm going to carry you into the townships. Do your work. I can't do it. Does that make sense? 
I still had to do the work, but I had to offer myself to him over and over and over and not get so used to, oh, I can do this. You know, if I preach the gospel, I have led hundreds of people to the Lord. For me, it's quite an easy thing because I expect it. Um, and, And so it's like, okay, I can lead people to the Lord. Oh, how easy is that? I never wanted to get blasé or take anything for granted because then I would lose it because it's all about him. It really is. We've died, you see. We've died. My second church plant. Because of the community that we'd got houses for and also didn't go into the community to plant a church or anything like that. But people got saved. So what do you do? You tuck them around you and you start teaching. And so it just, the plant just happened around me. And when we had all the houses on this, in this village, um, I said to the people, we would like to put a building up somewhere. And they said, they had a committee meeting, and they said, you've helped us. We've watched you do, talk about Jesus, the word, but you did the works. And because you were the ones who helped us fight apartheid. You see, I've got stories that blow your mind <laughs> about actually standing against government and so on and so on in the fight against apartheid. But I'm not going to go there. But because the people saw we as a church stand by them through it, they said, we'll give you a piece of land. They said, in our communities, churches fight with each other. There's jealousies and so on. Isn't that awful that people say that about the church? And so we only want one church in this whole town. It's you. And we are there as the church in this town because they saw something of the power of our words of Jesus and the the people being saved and healed and delivered, demons fleeing, and they saw houses come up. Amazing. And God did that because I'm not a project person. I'm not a house person. Uh, I, I just want to take you aside to a little story. When they were building the houses, got no idea how to do houses. And I would want to encourage the builders. So I would drive in on the, in the village um, in the morning and I would go to where they'd mix the cement, you know, the, in the wheelbarrows. And I would put my fingers in and I would rub it just to be interested. And word got out that Mama Angela, God tells her whether the, there's too much sand in the cement. <laughs> do you see? God tells her, because you see what would happen is they'd use one bag of cement and five bags of sand and then when the rains come, the houses collapse. And we said, Lord, these are your houses. Please protect them. And so I just went around the township and I touched cement because people thought that I have this link that knows I knew nothing. But we got very good houses. (laughs) You know, though being in the townships was a very new community, it was very cross-cultural and so on, I still went home every day 
to my first world house. So I went from the really third world to the first world third world, over and over. So it was semi-cross-cultural. And then we came for six months to the UK. And um, we came for six months, almost eight years ago, (laughs) to serve two New Frontiers churches, and then we were going home. But we got so booked up, we're still here. So home is still South Africa, but we are based in the UK. And I'm so African, and you think... What happened, Lord? But it's because something's happening here in the West. Something's happening. I smell revival in the air. Oh, I smell it. The temperature has risen wherever we go. When we look around, even your hunger to see people saved. When we used to come to the Stonely Bible Weeks, I never saw the same hunger. People would say, you're very, you're very lucky to live in Africa because you see people saved. People are too hard here. They don't want to be saved. And I just think, same God. But it was a mindset, you see. I thought that because we came to the UK regularly, that I would know how to do it. Same, you know. Oh, I can, I can go to the UK and just fit in. Wrong. It was the biggest shock for me not to be able to just fit into the culture or society. It was so very tricky. Everything was different. And I couldn't go home. I couldn't go to my own house and be fed with my own culture. I was in a different culture. And um, I found my faith tested to the limit. Because I'd come from Lord Jesus, will you come? They're your people. They don't have food. Will you feed them, please? And then the next day, people would tell me, oh, somebody came in and just gave us food. That's right, because God provides. But then I came into a Western society where everything seemed to be provided already. And I was like, and I felt stupid. And I'm being very honest. I felt that I kind of felt simple in my head because I took everything at face value that the Bible says and suddenly it was, I can't think like this anymore. Am I making sense? Yeah? And uh, I thought, I'll have to adapt to where I am. But I, I didn't find it easy. I just, oh. And the battle, I cannot tell you, Greg knows. The battle inside. Oh, yeah, but, but I, I just want to go and ask God. Yeah, but there's, there's this way that you... But, and it was a massive battle. And it's not knocking any culture. I'm just telling you, even you going to other cultures, you'll find this. It just doesn't fit. And you think, but we all look the same. But it's like, no, we don't think the same. That's the thing. And we get fooled into thinking we think the same if we look the same. If you go to a a country where we all look different, you'd expect something different. But the guy who I trained up to take over the second church plant, he came from the UK. So he and I, at the time, looked the same. 
he thought that he would have his biggest problem in the township with cross-culture. The biggest problem, he shared a house with two other white South African males. Ooh, ooh, ooh. the sparks flew. His biggest problem with people of the same color, but different culture. I came from, a, uh, from the townships, all community. You know, at times, New Frontiers would give, send teams over. Morris came on a team, 20 people. And I would take them from shack to shack to shack, and 20 people come into the shack together. Imagine me bringing 20 people to your home. <laughs> Do you see? So I came from community into individualism, and I had to learn all over again how to be, how to act. But you can see God's hand. Because I thought I was cross-cultural. I used to teach seminars on being cross-cultural because I was in the townships. And God says, well, you think that's cross-cultural. Let me take you another step. And so we think we've arrived in everything. And God says, you just haven't arrived. There's more. There's more. I found, I found myself in London being pushed to the limit to trust the work of my hands. Now, it's not wrong for people living there, but for me, do you see, from coming from that, houses dropping from the sky kind of thing, into something different. Um, oh, and I had to struggle. And it was nobody's fault. It was my own way of thinking, do you see? And so I had to learn to fit into a culture without losing who I am. If that makes I think that's what God was teaching me. Because I wanted to adapt, to be like everybody else. I didn't know how. I just didn't know how. But I don't want to be different. You know we don't want to be different. We want to fit in with the crowd. Yeah? And God says, No, you stay like you are. I put you there because of what I've taught you. Now I want you to bring that in and not don't water yourself down but stay sharp oh so difficult and this could have been any other country in the west it's not a, a uk or this or that thing any other country in the west because it's different and it's it was it's about me and how i had to learn to adapt not about the countries that i was in I found that people's fear, and this could be any of the Western nations, I think, of the powers that be, the fear of those in charge was quite high. Am I being very controversial? You've got to respect those in authority without being molded by them. Yeah? And I found that sitting in various meetings and people were so scared of, but this organization and that one and that one. I was, but hold on, we're the church. We're the church. And when you go into these nations, different nations, whether you go from the first world to the third world, know that you're the church. And that doesn't mean that you break laws and things. But we are the salt and light to actually bring protection into society 
and not have the rules forced on us that you can't do anything and you're just scared to even walk. I used to say to Greg, I don't know the rules. I just want to go home. I don't know the rules. You feel like that at times in your nations that you go to? I just don't know the rules. I'm out of control because I don't know the rules. Acts 17 verse 26 says, From one man he made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So wherever God has put you at this point in time and wherever you're going to go and plant or wherever you want to be, he planned before time that you will be there. So you are welcome there. And you have power there. And that's what I'm talking about. You have power to change uh, things around because God determined that you would be there. When I read verses, verses like that, I had co- my confidence grew again. That I was in the right place at the right time. And you see, people knew me, but nobody knew the struggle that I was going through. Because I just kept on doing what I had to do. But I had to work with, oh, please, Lord, please, you've got to come and do something in me to give me my confidence back. I really lost confidence. Any of you lose confidence where God puts you? (laughs) Sebastian, you're naughty, eh? No. (laughs) I want to give you some effects of cross-culture. Culture shock is when you experience frustration from not knowing the rules or having the skills for adjusting to a new culture. And that could even be if you're living in um, uh, one place in the Netherlands and you move to another. It could be in the UK, you move from one, you move from one town and you move to another. The culture, the culture shock is actually quite big. Culture shock is the disorientation we experience when all the cultural maps and guidelines we learned as children no longer work. And that is what church planting is about. Everything is... Roger, yeah? You just don't know. You can know the language, but you think, how does this work? And nothing that I depended on in the past works anymore. I can't depend on anything. You can just see the hand of God. Yes, but I'm there. Yes, but I'm there. Culture shock is the anxiety that results from losing all the familiar signs and symbols that help us understand a situation. It's big stuff. Still got pioneering faith? (laughs) And then there's deeper differences of values, thinking patterns, intangible things. The jokes that people tell the idioms that they throw out that everybody knows and everybody laughs and you sit there thinking, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> the humor. It's like, oh, I understand it, but I don't think it's funny. And, and then you feel stupid because you don't think it's funny. It's just, it's very real things. And I think because I came from the third world, often it's first world going into the third world or the second world, But because I came from the third world into the first world, it's a massive culture shock. Massive, massive culture shock. Total change in one's thinking. 
some of the symptoms of being in culture shock. Fatigue, tiredness. Oh, <laughs> you see, it's tiring. It's, uh, this might all sound heavy, but I want to be real with you. Do you see? I know people, I've got this name. Oh, she floats in the air somewhere. And you know, she can prophesy over people. It means nothing to me because the costs were so high. Do you see? That, that's what I'm trying to bring over. It's not about, well, I've got a microphone. I'd rather be in a shack in, in Syria looking after people. I'm shy. And so a microphone is a big thing. But I've died. And God's put the microphone in my hand. Do you see? It, it, there's a cost. There's just a cost. There's a cost. But it's worth it. But it's worth it. Fatigue. Getting used to a new culture is very exhausting. Even if you move from the north to the south or whatever in your own country, it is exhausting. Since so many little details of life may seem to be handled differently and one has to start learning again from scratch. I don't want to do that. I want comfort. It's, it's what you said this morning, Grantly. We like to be in the comfort and it's actually pushing through. And didn't Grantly start this evening by saying you're going to say amen to everything? <laughs> he didn't know what I was going to say. <laughs> Number two, discouragement and depression. If this takes root, it can lead to a sense of paralysis. It is vital that one breaks out of such paralysis if one is going to make friends with people and overcome culture shock. Because you know what happens? You go to London and you've got South African churches, quite a number of them, where all the South Africans are together and they talk about Burevos and Breifles and all those things, you see. And they, they hail the motherland, but they don't want to go back. But you see, it's from a distance. They can hail South Africa, so wonderful. But they don't want to go back. And so they, they lager among themselves and stay South African in their church setting and everything, when God sends us to other nations, it's to actually join the culture. You celebrate your roots. You celebrate where you've come from. You will always be British or Ghanaian or, or Netherlands or whatever, no matter which culture you go to. But you adapt and you join church so it becomes international. But when one gets culture shock and you get depressed, you run for your own. Don't do it. Rather push through with friends from the same from the nation you're in. When one gets a critical spirit. When we feel anxious and under pressure, one of the commonest defense mechanisms is to blame others. They are always late or they don't do it like this and they don't do it like that. And that's part of, you know, it's recognizing this is culture shock. And therefore, Lord, will you come and heal me? It's all about him. All about him. Self-pity. Everything is stacked against me. People overcharge. My visa doesn't want to come through. Nobody wants me. And God sent me and nobody wants me. One may feel one is being kept at a distance. So one begins to feel unappreciated. And you know what? I went through all those things. 
in the townships and also in London, all those things. Greg will, <laughs> he can tell you stories. Yeah. Of, oh, I don't want to do this. I want to go home. And then I had just got used to London. <laughs> Multiculture. It's very different from being in Cape Town. But it's still multiculture, and I was just getting the humor, and I was just adapting. And I'm a city person, Lord. I'm a city person. <laughs> and then God puts us in a town. So January, we moved to a town. Now you must know, for me, I'm cross-cultural. <laughs> so I was put in a town... Where the shock, I mean, it's, it's, it's England, London, town, further down in the south. And an hour away from London, it's England. No, it isn't. And you must hear this, because we never arrive, and God pushes us out of the boat all the time. Lord, just leave me alone. I've done my bit. I've got stories to tell. Oh, you haven't. There's more. Okay. So we moved to a town. And it was so quiet. No sirens. No helicopters. No, do you know? No tube. No tube. Red buses. All the different languages. And it was all white. I'm cross-cultural. I'm black, actually. <laughs> you see? <laughs> and again, this year, I have gone through things in my head. <sighs> oh, Lord. I want my comforts back. Because we'd made a whole community of friends in the church we were in. And it took ages and he pulled us out and put us where we didn't know a soul. Not in the town and not in the church. I just want my comforts, Lord. Get me back to the city. Oh, but you've died. I can do with you whatever I want to. And it's always good. It's not cruel. I felt it was a bit cruel, you know. But it's always good. It's always good. And it... And in the meantime, we've had a few family problems, serious ones. It's like, and we need to move near our family, and oh, awful. And then there came a day, not a few months ago, when I just sat before God and I said, okay, I'll give in. Because it was like, I'm going to stay the year, and then I'm back into the familiar. And I said, I just, I give in, Lord. I give in because I'm not hit and run. I cannot come to a place and hardly get to know them and then I'm off again. I mean, what kind of witness is that? What am I saying to the, the very church who are wonderful people? It's not about me. It's about them. It's about God. It's about the blessing. And I said, okay, Lord. And the next day we went to the eldership and said, we're going to stay another year. And you could feel the whole atmosphere change. Do you see We've died. We've died. Wonder if you'll stand. <laughs>